Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is the Smithsonian Associates Art of Living Author interview series, and our guest today is Dr. Stephen Emanuel. Dr. Stephen Emanuel is the dean of the Susan S. Good School of Arts and Humanities at Virginia Wesleyan University. Dr. Emanuel will be presenting via Zoom on May 25th, 2021, and the title of Dr. Emanuel's presentation is How Much is Enough? Buddhist and Western Perspectives on Greed, Prosperity, and Happiness. It has become fashionable in recent decades to assert that greed is good, or more accurately, that greed can be a productive force for good. This is not a new idea. As early as the 18th century philosophers, such as Adam Smith, noted that vices, such as avarice and vanity, contributed to the advancement of society by spurring industry and prosperity. At the same time, Smith was deeply aware of the social and psychological costs of a competitive market system, not least anxiety, inauthenticity, inequality, and indifference to the misery of the poor. Adam Smith frequently observed how the relentless pursuit of wealth disrupts the tranquility and contentment necessary to human happiness. Modern critics of free market capitalism have long complained that it promotes economic growth at the expense of virtue and happiness. But does the capitalist model for alleviating poverty force us to choose between the useful and the good? Is some measure of unhappiness simply the price we pay for human progress? Though it may seem an unlikely source, the Buddhist tradition offers us a useful conceptual framework for thinking about this question. And our guest today, Stephen Emanuel, Dean of the Susan S. Good School of Arts and Humanities at Virginia Wesleyan University, will answer our questions about whether there's a value in greed, the dangers of wealth acquisition as it pertains to happiness, and an ennobling form of economic activity that is not only compatible with moral and spiritual growth, but promotes the conditions for a peaceful, prosperous, and happy society. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Smithsonian Associate, Dr. Stephen Emanuel. Dr. Stephen Emanuel, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I think the subject that we're going to be talking about is going to be of real interest to our audience. The title of your presentation, of course, is How Much is Enough? Buddhist and Western Perspectives on Greed, Prosperity, and Happiness. And so I wonder if we could just begin by having you just tell briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation and maybe, you know, just briefly how you're going to use Zoom to engage your audience. We're all on Zoom these days, and uh, this is a, a big part of it. And so maybe, maybe give us a little bit of uh, insight into what you'll be covering and how. Okay, I'd love to. So my presentation takes up one of the big questions of philosophy, how much is enough? And uh, as you can tell from the subtitle, I explore this question by comparing Buddhist and Western ideas about greed, prosperity, and happiness. It's an important topic. It goes right to the heart of what it means to live a good life uh, and the conditions for our collective human flourishing. And I approach the discussion from a comparative perspective because, well, frankly, we need all the wisdom we can get, right? Right. And I think we benefit enormously from looking to other philosophical traditions to get fresh insight. And as it happens, uh, the Buddhist tradition has quite a lot to say about greed and about how greed relates to our happiness and our material well-being. And in particular, 
it provides a pretty robust challenge to modern Western attempts to valorize greed. And what I mean by that is the, the claim that greed is really a good thing, at least when it's properly channeled. And we're going to be looking very closely at that claim uh, in particular. Uh, this will be a Zoom presentation. And, of course, that's a little more challenging than being in a face-to-face -face setting where I can interact directly with the audience and kind of feed off their energy. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to make the presentation lively. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. Um, so I'm going to have some visual aids, some slides that highlight key concepts or contain short quotations from texts um, discussing. I've also thrown in a few video clips. But the topic itself, I think, is really fascinating, and it's directly relevant to people's lives. So that will probably be enough to keep the audience fully engaged. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're right. I think that this will engage our audience. And, and just as you say, you know, all the wisdom that we can get is good. And I think I think I, I want to focus for just a second on this idea of good and ask you, of course, you know, we've all heard the phrase from Gordon Gecko. you know, greed is good. Right. And, I, and so I wonder if you just tell us, is there a value to greed? Well, that's a good question. Uh, it, it certainly has become sort of fashionable uh, to assert that greed is good. Uh, and that's a surprising claim, you know, considering that throughout history, greed has generally been regarded as, well, pernicious vice, a deadly sin, a perennial source of conflict, injustice, human misery. At least that was the prevailing view of greed uh, from ancient times, from the ancient Greek philosophers all the way through the Middle Ages. But by the early modern period, and uh, this, this coincides with the rise of commercial society, philosophers began to notice the usefulness of certain vices for advancing the public good. Uh, in particular, they noted the way that avarice, greed, vanity, uh, the desire for luxury, actually helped to spur industry and prosperity, and even improved the standard of living for the poor. After all, you know, one person's insatiable desire for luxury is another person's opportunity to provide the goods and services that outfit that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So this idea mm -hmm. was taken up by the 18th century Scottish philosopher Adam Smith. Uh, but Smith did something really interesting. He shifted the terms of the discussion from vice to the more general concept of self-interest which he identified as the driving force behind all economic growth and progress. And he understood that individuals in a marketplace are motivated by a pretty narrow concern for their own gain. Um, in fact, he had this really famous uh, line in his, 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 uh, his famous work, The Wealth of Nations, where he, where he writes, this is quoted all the time, he says, it's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. We address ourselves not to their humanity, but to their self-love. So for Smith, though, this wasn't such a bad thing, because in a system in which people are free to trade and free to pursue wealth, they have a natural incentive to make the best use of their time, of their talents, their creativity, their capital. 
so even if their only aim is to get as much as they can for themselves, their efforts contribute to the prosperity of society as a whole. They're not intending to do that, right? But that's the practical consequence of individuals pursuing their private interests. And so Smith was a, a, a great defender of commercial society, but he was also aware of the costs of a commercial society, not least selfishness, uh, callous indifference to others, uh, gross inequality of income and wealth. But, you know, for the most part, he was willing to accept these costs in exchange for a system that he believed offered the most effective means of alleviating poverty, which is no small thing. At the same time, though, and this is uh, this sort of gets very close to the, the heart of the Smithsonian talk, he recognized the way in which commercial society caused people to measure their self-worth by their productivity and their material success. This is a phenomenon that we now call internalized capitalism. And the effects of this are, are well known, right? Overwork, stress, anxiety, restlessness, and of course, the feeling that one never has enough. And Smith frequently noted how this mm, relentless pursuit of wealth disrupts the peace of mind and the contentment which are necessary to real human happiness. But notice now, there's a problem here, because it would seem that the very thing that drives the economic growth and progress of a society tends to undermine the well-being and happiness of individuals. It's a bit paradoxical, right? Uh, sometimes this is referred to as the economic problem of happiness. And of course, critics of capitalism have always complained that it promotes economic growth at the expense of virtue and happiness. I'm thinking um, there's a, a, a quote from the economist John Maynard Keynes uh, who lamented the fact that capitalism requires us, and I'm quoting here, to pretend that fair is foul and foul is fair, for foul is useful and fair is not. It's a memorable line. <laughs> uh, but it raises some interesting questions. Uh, does the capitalist model for alleviating poverty force us to choose between what is useful and what is good? And is some measure of unhappiness simply the price we have to pay for human progress? And this is where I look to the Buddhist tradition to see if uh, it sheds any light on that problem. Well, what does the Buddhist tradition tell us about greed and the conditions for happiness? Well, <clears throat> greed plays a central role in the Buddhist understanding of the causes of human suffering. And greed is one of the three poisons or defilements of mind, uh, as they're called, that prevent people from realizing happiness. The other two poisons are hatred and delusion. So you have this, uh, this trio of greed, hatred, and delusion. And in Buddhism, the concept of greed is expressed, well, it's actually, like, as in English, you know, we have many words for greed. We have uh, avarice and covetousness and cupidity and rapacity and so forth. And uh, in Buddhism, similarly, there are, there are a bunch of closely related terms, but all of them capture the idea of 
this inordinate longing or desire or craving that drives the self-centered pursuit of worldly pleasure. And according to the, the Buddhist view, human beings are naturally prone to greed. Uh, we're prone to desire what is pleasant, to hate what is unpleasant, to cling to the objects of our desires, and to define who we are through the accumulation of possessions. And all of this leads to suffering. So liberation from suffering, which is the project of Buddhism, depends on the realization that, on the one hand, that the accumulation of possessions is never going to bring any kind of ultimate satisfaction or happiness. And, and also that this idea of self that drives all of this activity, uh, a self that exists entirely independent of others and is in competition with the needs and the interests of others, is in reality a delusion. And it only fuels the impulses of greed and hatred. So there you have your, your three roots of suffering, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion. So the more we labor under this egoistic view of things, the I, me, mine view, the more entangled we get in that web of craving and grasping and destructive competitiveness that prevents us from realizing happiness. And the path to liberation from that suffering, uh, the path to happiness, involves a kind of inward transformation of the individual in which these poisons of greed and hatred and delusion are gradually overcome by cultivating the virtues of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So if you see the parallel here, generosity is the antidote to greed, loving kindness is the antidote to hatred, and wisdom is the antidote to delusion. And in, in practical terms, what that means is essentially establishing oneself in good ethical conduct and developing a greater capacity to act with uh, an unselfish concern for the benefit of others. And this is crucially supported by a practice of mindfulness. This means slowing down, becoming more attentive to our patterns of consumption and the consequences of those patterns for ourselves, for others, and for the environment. And perhaps most important of all, um, gaining a deeper insight into the fact that we actually exist interdependently with others and with the environment. This is the wisdom part, right? So we're not just these isolated atoms kind of smashing into each other, you know, competing in this uh, ruthless zero-sum game. But in fact, the reality of our existence is, 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 um, is one of interdependence uh, with, with, with all other beings. And so from a Buddhist perspective, let me just talk to happiness for, uh, for a second. True happiness is found not in the accumulation of possessions, but by limiting our desires and knowing how to be content with what we have. And so to this end, the Buddha advised householders, laypersons who have to earn a living, right, to engage in <clears throat> good and honest work, uh, to save for the future, to live comfortably but within their income, to provide support for family and friends, to be generous, 
to help people who are in need and so forth. So moderation, contentment, and generosity are the keys to a good and happy life. And this approach to happiness, of course, contrasts sharply with the uh, endorsement of consumerism that we find in, contemp- in the contemporary defense of greed, right? Because today, what, what we hear is we need to consume, right? We need to consume. This is, this is sort of the engine of, of, of our con- consumer-driven economy. Um, and so when you, when you think about it that way, this too raises some questions, right? It, it raises some questions for Buddhism. Because if that desire for more is actually the thing that drives economic growth and lifts people out of poverty, then is there a danger, maybe, in encouraging people to limit their desires and to be content with what they have? In other words, wouldn't the Buddhist approach maybe just lead us to a kind of stagnation? Um, and so now we have, we're sort of looking at the economic problem of happiness, but from the other end, mm-hmm. right? You know, we, when we think of capitalism, and, and we're, we're talking, of course, with Dr. Stephen Emanuel, and we're focused on his upcoming presentation, How Much is Enough Buddhist and Western Perspectives on Greed, Prosperity, and Happiness. We think about capitalism as being primarily a, a Western system. It has this tendency to distribute its benefits, I think, in an extremely unequal fashion. So the question then, as you suggest, the the next question coming from this idea of conditions for happiness is, is there a form of economic activity that that's not only compatible with moral and spiritual growth, but promotes the conditions for a peaceful, prosperous, and happy society? Well, the short answer is yes. <laughs> uh, from a Buddhist perspective, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's more to the story about how Buddhism thinks about these concepts of of uh, moderation and contentment. Because, and this is a real value, I think, in looking to another philosophical tradition and 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 getting that kind of insight, right? And 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 so when when uh, the Buddhist concept of contentment doesn't actually entail the absence of desire. But it, it, it entails the absence of a certain kind of desire, namely that insatiable self-centered craving associated with greed. Because by its very nature, craving desire leads to stress, anxiety, restlessness, that destructive competitiveness and unsustainable consumption. Right? But contentment from a Buddhist perspective is perfectly compatible with another form of desire, Uh, which in this context refers to the wholesome desire for well-being. It's a desire that focuses on things that contribute to genuine human flourishing. So things like good nutrition and housing and health care, education, as well as moral and spiritual development. So in terms of consumption, uh, the Buddhist understanding of moderation and contentment is always connected to the idea or the goal of well-being. And the Buddha used a, a, a simple example to make this point. He said, we can eat just for the sake of pleasure or to satisfy some craving, and this will most likely lead to ill health and distress, the opposite of well-being and happiness. But if we're mindful and we know when we've eaten enough, hunger can be satisfied in a manner that supports good health and brings true contentment. 
happiness. So by focusing on the goal of well-being, mindfulness of consumption promotes not only a healthier and happier life, but also that spiritual goal of reducing the craving form of desire that leads to suffering. So the, the, key, the key is making sure that your goal is always the goal of well-being. But there's one other piece to this, because having fewer desires of that craving kind is also compatible with working hard to create material conditions for a good life. In other words, you know, Buddhism isn't saying don't don't be industrious, don't don't be productive, don't don't work hard, and really, you know, invest yourself in in your business and so forth. It it all has to do with what your objective is and what you're doing with the wealth that's being generated by that activity. So the key point is that Buddhism isn't opposed to economic growth per se. But it does require a different way of thinking about what it means to better our condition. It encourages an approach to growth that's both socially and environmentally sustainable, uh, that provides people with opportunities to achieve well-being, to contribute in meaningful ways to the well-being of others. Um, It sees productivity and responsible consumption as social goods. Uh, It supports the use of material resources for the purpose of alleviating the suffering caused by poverty, hunger, homelessness, disease, and so forth. But at the same time, it discourages those forms of production and consumption that are harmful and diminish the overall quality of life. And and of course, this ethical approach to development uh, might not generate the rapid growth that's possible in a consumerist economy, But the result promises to be a more peaceful, just, and sustainable society. Thank you for that. Dr. Emanuel, final question for you. I I know you're very busy and we appreciate your your time. These are fascinating questions and your upcoming presentation at Smithsonian I think is just going to be wonderful. So I, I wonder, what have you learned about other countries where these ideas are embraced? And are we here in the U.S.? Um, becoming more aware of the disparities created by wealth and, and is capitalism, you know, just by its very nature, unethical? Oh, those are good questions. Um, so it would be tempting, uh, maybe just to, I could point, for example, to, uh, say, Denmark mm-hmm. and say, look, here's, a, here's an example of a society where, you know, they've arranged things, their institutions in such a way that they make sure that uh, you know people don't fall through the cracks. People have enough. Make sure that they have education, that they have health care, and you know all those those really important things. Um, but that that can be very misleading to do. Um, and and the reason is that we have to be careful not to suggest that the Buddha was a social democrat, <laughs> or or that he was anti-capitalist. Right, um, those sorts of, 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 of that kind of thinking isn't isn't very helpful and it's not very accurate. The Buddha uh, was quite careful to steer clear of any kind of ideology, political or otherwise, and his focus was always exclusively on the problem of suffering. But having said that, the early Buddhist texts do assign an important role to government 
in creating the conditions for human flourishing. So, for example, there are some general uh, guidelines. There should be a fair and impartial system of justice. Um, and there should be policies that reflect a humane concern for the well-being and prosperity of every member of society. Poverty is specifically identified as a root cause of corruption and social decay. And it's absolutely essential that it be addressed in a skillful way. But here's the thing. Buddhism doesn't see poverty as a problem for the poor. Let me explain that. We might we might look across town, let's say there might be, a, a, say, a neighborhood that's... Um, you know, economically depressed, and we might say, oh, look, there's poverty over there, and there are poor people, and maybe if those poor people just did this, or if they just did that, maybe they wouldn't be poor. Um, but that's that that's a, a sort of delusional way of, of looking at the situation, because from the Buddhist perspective, we exist interdependently. Poverty, wherever it exists, is a problem for everyone. Uh, it's a breakdown, actually, in the, those relational patterns of, of mutual sympathy and generosity that constitute a genuine community. So, from a Buddhist perspective, it's the responsibility of government to try to create real opportunities for work, work that's satisfying, that enables people to support themselves and to contribute in meaningful ways to the well-being of others. And in one, um, there's an early text uh, in which the Buddha actually recommends a plan of economic development. He's talking to a Brahmin who's looking for uh, advice about, about these matters. And um, this plan that the, the Buddha unfolds um, is, is intended to provide avenues for people to work and to flourish together. And so it includes things like, it addresses poverty in, in, a, in a variety of ways. One of those ways is in providing some direct assistance to people who have acute need, um, providing subsidies to people who work in trades, uh, guaranteeing a fair wage and food for people who are employed in government service, things of that sort. It's actually quite specific uh, on, on those points. Um, but, but generally speaking, um, the idea is that if people have the freedom to engage in work that's enriching, and that it allows them to live with dignity and to fulfill their responsibilities to others, then the society will be harmonious, it will be peaceful, it will be prosperous, and it will be happy. And here's the, the maybe for some people, maybe a surprising thing. Buddhism, uh, at least in this text anyway, it acknowledges the usefulness of economic freedom for alleviating those forms of suffering that trap people in the prison of greed and hatred and, and delusion. Because the basic lack of capabilities, you know, things like good health, nutrition, adequate shelter, and so forth, constitutes a serious impediment to liberation. So economic freedom enables people to use their energy and their talents and their creativity in ways that are both um, ennobling and also mutually liberating. And so that's the role of government is to try to facilitate that. What exactly that looks like, 
right? Um, you know, that has to be done skillfully, um, considering the, you know, the situation at hand and, and so forth. And of course, in our society, you know, we have um, big debates about this, about how and to what extent government should insert itself in the economic life of, 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 of people. And, and those, those points can be debated. But from a, a Buddhist perspective, one thing is abundantly clear. And that, that is that to achieve a truly flourishing and a happy society requires that really that we move beyond those notions that greed is good uh, and that, that whatever the market produces is fair. Government, from a Buddhist perspective, works best not by creating a level playing field and letting the chips fall where they may, but by creating institutions and policies that encourage a compassionate concern for the well-being and happiness of everyone in society. And so I, I think one of the things that I find very appealing about uh, and, and useful in thinking through this from a, a Buddhist perspective is the nonpartisan aspect of it. You know, it really challenges us to move beyond uh, those narrowly defined ideological positions that we tend to fall into, like liberal, conservative, uh, the ones that dominate the current political debate. Uh, you asked me whether, you know, we're, um, we're coming to, uh, you know, understand a little bit more clearly the problems, you know, caused by poverty and inequality and so forth. And I think we we are, sure we are, but we do tend to look at those problems. We look at the problem of poverty, for example, through a certain kind of lens. And and very often, I think, one of the problems is that we kind of miss the forest for the trees, right? We end up getting a little bit too... Uh, we become too influenced by, by political uh, issues and don't concentrate enough just on the suffering and the need to kind of put a little bit of that political partisanship aside and just focus on the things that would be skillful and effective in dealing with the problems that we have. Uh, so from a Buddhist perspective, any time that you're, you know, you're looking at things through some kind of a, a, a lens of political ideology, that just prevents you from seeing and skillfully addressing the suffering that's caused by things like poverty and inequality and the lack of opportunity for uh, development. Dr. Stephen Emanuel has been our guest. Questions like these, uh, issues of human dignity, caregiving, even the climate, the environment, fascinating subjects. Dr. Stephen Emanuel will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates coming up here May 25th. The title again is How Much is Enough? Buddhist and Western Perspectives on Greed, Prosperity, and Happiness. Dr. Stephen Emanuel, thank you for your time. We're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about you, about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. But what a pleasure it's been to talk to you. I, I could talk to you for a long time about these subjects. I know our audience is going to be very excited to learn more. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, the pleasure has been all mine. My thanks to Dr. Stephen Emanuel, who will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program May 25th, 2021. And the title of Dr. Emanuel's presentation is How Much is Enough? Buddhist and Western Perspectives on Greed, Prosperity, and Happiness. 
More details are available in our show notes today. Also, my thanks to the Smithsonian Associates team for all they do to support the show. My special thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe. Practice smart social distancing, wear your mask, get the vaccine, and talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.